0: So today we're going to end our Who's Your One series and we're going to be in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10. So if you would stand with me one last time and we're going to just read the word of the Lord together. It's going to be on the screen for you as well. If you don't have a Bible, you can look on the screen or you can pull out your smartphone and you can go from there. For the sake of time, I won't read all of Acts 10, but we're going to actually walk through it in sections. I'm only going to read for you uh, verses 1 uh, all the way to verse 15. The word of the Lord says this to us. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion, of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. Staring at him in awe, he said, What is it, Lord? The angel told him, Your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. The next day they were traveling and nearing the city. Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. He became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and an object that resembled a larger sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. A voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times and suddenly the object was taken up. Heaven, Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we have the rest of our time together to worship, but also to come to the Lord's table, would you meet us? Would you change us? Would you transform our hearts? We believe by faith that your word has the power to pierce our hearts, Lord, and change our thinking. And so, Lord, I give you thanks and praise for it in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. It's one thing I forgot to mention. Today is Family Sunday, so we have all our elementary kids with us. And if your child didn't receive a uh, notes page for church, make sure you let us know. You can raise your hand. Somebody can get one for your child and they can bring it back to the back and get a prize for actually paying attention in church. Uh, I would encourage you. Don't let them play on tablets in church. All right. Don't let them play with your phone. You're essentially saying this is not important. So. Have them take notes. Ask them about what they learned after they leave. This is what we want you to do when they go to the kids area, because when they go to the elementary kids area, they learn verses. They learn doctrine. We're teaching the word. Hey, look, we have a little I think he's one or two year old little boy that goes home every week and his parents quiz him on his memory verse. And he knows it too. put some of us adults to shame. Right. So, man, make sure your kids are engaging in what's going on, because this is important. This matters. Amen? Okay, that's enough of that. All right, let me get you to the work. You know, for whatever reason, as we progress through school and do all these kind of things, uh, teachers, professors, all these ones, they love to do this one thing. They give us group projects. Group projects are of the devil. Now, maybe it's just me but I don't know anybody who loves group projects, unless you're that one person that doesn't do your work and you love that group project because you can slide on in and then everybody does the work for you, anyway, okay. But why do we not like group projects? Well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, you get the people you would never work with if you had to choose. You get people drafted into the group with little or no presentation skills. Why does it seem like you get the worst person in your group all the time? Then the group is judged by the whole, not the individual person. So no matter how hard you work, you're gonna be judged by the whole of the group, not the individual work. And here's the last thing, you don't get to pick who you want. If we got to pick who we wanted, right, it would be an amazing thing, we can choose who we want. If it left up to us, many would just choose to hang in our own groups, because that's what we do. We hang in our own groups, We never really mix with someone who's different than us. And we're not talking about forcing diversity here. We're not talking about saying a forced diversity, but we're saying the reality of our comfort zone at times can keep us isolated in silos that are just like us. Yet the God we serve is the God of the nations. He is a God for all peoples, all tribes and all tongues. In fact, in Psalm 24 and one, it says the earth and everything in it The world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. So everything belongs to him. All the inhabitants, everything belongs to him. It goes on to say in verse seven and eight, lift up your heads, you gates, rise up, you ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Our God desires for a people for himself. And this people is made up of those of every tribe and every tongue. Just as the song we're singing, that one day we will stand with every tribe and every nation under the earth. Did you know in heaven there will be Christians who have disagreed with you politically? Then in heaven there are going to be believers that are going to look different than you and may have worshipped differently than you? It is in the finished work of Christ And in the gospel, there are no barriers. There are no doors. There are no levels. Like the gospel is not like a multi-level marketing scheme where you get in and you earn your way up. And then all of a sudden you earn your way higher. No, there is not like that. The gospel has no barriers, no doors. It is one way in and it's through the Savior, Jesus Christ. The big question for many of us, we have to actually understand what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is this, is that those who place their faith and trust in this Savior will be given eternal life. That is the good news of the gospel. And this is the message we're called to proclaim and preach to every single person on every corner of the earth. So the first thing we find in Acts 10 is, number one, we find a prepared heart, a prepared heart. In the book of Acts, we're given the birth of the church. We see the Holy Spirit empowering the early church and moving through them for one purpose, to point people to Jesus. Yet the very first 10 years of the church, the main thrust in evangelization was to the Jews. We see this. You had some Gentiles here and there, but the main focus was let's reach the Jews, God's chosen people. It's not until we come unto this point of the book of Acts that we see the entire thrust of the church shift. Now you come 10 years down the road, God's full plan is manifesting, and now they're going to reach the Gentiles with the gospel, those who are non-Jews. We find our main character in this historical and biblical account, a man named Cornelius. Now we learn a little bit about Cornelius. We learn that he lives in Caesarea, which at the time was, in the, was the provincial capital and residence of the Roman governor. This city, Caesarea, was dominated by Gentiles. Now, all this stuff matters that I'm saying. This is where Rome had a base. This was a city dominated with Gentiles or not Jews. It says that he was a centurion, which means that he was a soldier and commanded a 100 or so men. So he was a man who knew authority. We see Jesus even encountering a Roman centurion. Who was much like Cornelius and Jesus showed kindness to him, although he was a Gentile and he actually healed his daughter. We also learn from the scriptures that Cornelius, according to Acts 10, he feared the Lord. He was a God fearing man. He did many charitable deeds. He always prayed to the Lord. Now, Cornelius was not a full proselyte to Judaism. So he was a God-fearing man, but he didn't fully commit to being Jewish. But he did great things to help the Jewish people. He apparently saw the God of the Hebrews as the true and living God. But there was something Cornelius lacked. He did two main things, though, that the Jews were asked to do. He prayed and he gave. The only thing he doesn't say he did was fast. But he possibly had done that as well. So in three in the afternoon, the Bible says we find him praying, which was custom for Jews to do. So he had adopted even the faith practices of the Jews. He was worshiping Yahweh. He was giving. And now we find him praying. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us what he was praying for. But I think the angel's message to him gives us some insight. The Bible says that as Cornelius was there and he prayed to God about three in the afternoon. He distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God. So the Lord sends to Cornelius an angel with a message. And this message was what Cornelius, I believe, was praying for salvation. What is true salvation? What is true hope? Where can that be found? And the angel gives Cornelius this message and he stands in awe. And look what his first response is. What is it, Lord? Cornelius identified even the voice of the Lord, although this was the the angel speaking. What is the angel's message to him? He says to Cornelius, your prayers and acts of charity have come before the Lord as a memorial offering. Simply put, this was similar to what we find in the Old Testament. His works of charity had risen like a sweet aroma of worship. It was well pleasing to the Lord. Now, this is interesting because one thing we have to note here is that Cornelius was not far from the kingdom. But the bigger note is this. Cornelius was not in the kingdom. He wasn't far from it. But he was not in the kingdom. In fact, Jesus tells this same thing to a scribe. A scribe came to Jesus, and he was God-fearing. He was trying to worship the Lord and do all these things. And in Mark 12, 34, Jesus tells him the same thing. You are not far from the kingdom. Notice his giving, his praying, all the things he was doing were good. They weren't enough. Because if they would have been enough, then the Lord would have just simply told him, Cornelius... You are in the kingdom. But you notice here that it wasn't enough. He was close, but he was not in. And today, maybe you are like Cornelius. You enjoy coming to worship. You enjoy singing the songs. In fact, maybe you are even moved When you hear these songs sung and the scriptures read and all the, it moves your heart and you come and now you're giving and maybe you're even serving and maybe you're even doing all these acts. You can identify with Cornelius, but the truth could be you're actually not in the kingdom. This is many, especially in the South. There are many who go on a Sunday morning and have been taught because of rote and tradition that that is what we do. But they are far from the kingdom. And so he says to Cornelius, call for Peter. Call for Peter. God has heard your prayers, but now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. What did Peter have? Peter had what Cornelius lacked. The gospel message. His works couldn't get him there, but he needed the gospel. He needed to hear salvation. You say, Well, I don't agree with that. Couldn't it have just been his works? Couldn't it have just been enough? Well, Romans 10:14 tells us this, but how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? You know who the preacher is? Not me. Us is. As every one of us. How can anyone respond to the good news of Christ if no one tells them about it? This is what Cornelius needed to hear. See, an angel can only do so much, but God has left to men his proclaimers of the message of the Messiah to those who are also men as well. Men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ, God has called each one of us to be proclaimers of the good news of Jesus. This is our privilege. Have you ever looked at it like that? That it is a privilege, that it's such a joy for you to be able to articulate what is the gospel? Cornelius was a soldier and he receives this command from the Lord. And look what he does. He sends men right away. Notice when God speaks, when he speaks from his word, there's always a response that's needed. And he sends these men to Joppa. And the next thing we find is not only was a prepared heart, but also a prepared servant, a prepared servant. Now, 30 miles away, 30 miles. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't walk 30 miles. And if somebody asked me to walk 30 miles, it will be a flat out no. I've ridden my bike 10 miles, and that's far. 30 miles, these folks walk, and there's 30 miles away, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, is having an off day. He's sleepy, he's hungry, and now he's on the roof waiting for his meal. Yet he was in the right place at the right time when the Lord needed him to be on the roof. The Bible says he fell into a trance. And he sees heaven open and a sheet lowered down with all sorts of animals from all over the world, right on this sheet. One commentator wrote that the four corners of the sheet could possibly represent the four corners of the world. Now, this is significant. If you were paying attention a little earlier, remember we said Cornelius was a what? Gentile. Peter is a Jew. Oil and water don't what? Mix. Neither do Gentiles and Jews. You see what's being set up here? God in his providence and his sovereignty, 30 miles away, is working in the hearts of two men. And now he's going to bring two people together. The Jews didn't eat anything also unclean or anything forbidden by the dietary laws specifically in Leviticus. Now, you may ask, why do they have such laws? Well, God desired for his people to live holy and separate from those who were heathen nations around them. Often the heathen nations around would take food and sacrifice it to idols. They use food in different aspects. So God says within my people, I'm going to put certain dietary laws to help them remain holy. The one thing we have to note here. God has always had a heart for all people, every nation, every tribe and tongue. Jesus makes it clear that it's not what you eat that defiles you or makes you unholy or unclean because the Jews would say, hey, look, it's what we eat that's going to defile us. Even if we touch a pig or we touch this, now we're going to be made unholy. But Jesus comes along and says, look, it's not what you eat that defiles you or makes you unholy or unclean. Why? Jesus says that it's whatever goes in your mouth comes out the other end. It goes in and it goes out. But it is what is in your heart that makes you unclean. Nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but it's the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Mark 7 15. See, here's the thing. If somebody comes along to you and says, Oh, see, you know what? You, you over there eating that pork chop? Boy, you know you ain't supposed to eat that pork chop because, see, that's going to defile you. What rubbish? Give me my pork chop. <laughs> Jesus clearly states, Now, here's the thing, I will say this. If you have high cholesterol and you got your glycerin levels all over the place, then maybe you should leave out the plate, right? But you better make sure you're leaving off certain foods because of your health reasons, not for spiritual reasons. Because what ends up happening is you become legalistic. And you begin to say, how I eat and the things I touch, that's what's going to keep me holy. Oh no, my friend, if that was the case, why did Jesus have to come? It is the finished work of Christ that washes us and cleanses us. And Jesus says, you need to look at your heart instead of what's on your plate. So Jesus orchestrating these things and and working all these things out. The Lord tells Peter this, rise, kill, and eat. Now, here's the thing. In this account, this is not talking about what to eat and what not to eat. The bigger picture that he's talking about is people here. He's only using the object lesson of animals that they called unclean to identify heathen nations. Do you see how radical this statement was? Your entire life, Peter is told, eating certain animals makes you unholy. Now the Lord is saying, take them as food. First, we see the Jesus setting us free from all dietary laws. This is what he came when he said this in Mark seven fifteen. He set us free from those things. Yet this is more than about that. Look at the Lord's response in verse 15. I love this. He clears it up for us exactly what he's talking about. He says again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. What is impure? Impure is those things that are outside of God. Impure, he was talking about Gentiles, those who are outside God's chosen people. Now, we can't fault Peter because Peter had to get it three times. But this is how the truth is. Often you hear the truth and you wrestle with it and say, man, I don't know if I can really accept that. I don't know if I can really hold on to that. But when you love God, you wrestle with it and you accept it as true. He encountered this. Why else was this significant? Think with me here. How can you say you have fellowship with someone if you can't share the table with them? Think about it. If you can't share a meal with someone, how in the world can you say I truly have fellowship with them? Let's be honest. Can I step on a few toes right here? Maybe pinky toes in a very loving, kind way. Some of us have been taught by grandma and grandpa and different ones, Auntie Luella and all of them, that you don't eat from certain people's houses. And we ain't talking about if they can't cook or if their kitchen ain't clean. We're talking about their pigmentation. Oh, I know, I know, that never goes on in anybody's family. I know how it is when you get around your folks and everybody talking about, oh, we don't eat from white folks. Oh, I know, I'm just talking myself up here. <laughs> oh, we don't eat from black folks, we don't do that. You go to a restaurant, don't you? Man, I'm breaking bread with anybody who calls on the name of my Lord. Because in the end equation, when, it come, when push comes to shove and the government really wants to come after who he wants to come after, guess who's going to be in the same boat? The folks who are really following the Messiah. Persecution will be a great thing for America, I believe. Because it will leave you at a fault with nothing else to hold on to, not your politics, not your agendas, not your biases, only Jesus Christ and him crucified. Some of us, the reality is, have never broken bread with someone we call brother or sister on Sunday because we have biases from Monday to Saturday. He says, Rise, kill, and eat. Peter, don't call what I've called clean unclean anymore. I've removed those barriers. And this is the beautiful truth of the cross, that Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, that in the cross, it is open and is level. All can come. This is why communion is so powerful. When we come to the Lord's table, how do we come? Together as one body. This is why it's so powerful. When you come to the table, it doesn't matter if your socioeconomic status is higher than your brother or sister. It doesn't matter if your pigmentation is darker or lighter. We are leveled at the foot of the cross. And this is why it matters that you be a part of a body of Christ where you're willing to lay down your life for your brother and sister. I'm preaching better than y'all, amen. And I'm telling you, I tell you. I got to hurry up because we run out of time. But here's the thing. The men arrived and they asked Peter. They said, Peter, look, we've been sent here. And Peter's still perplexed and wondering what's going on. What is the Lord saying here? But look what the spirit of God says to Peter. He says essentially this, go, my boy, go. Go where I'm telling you to go because there's something more that you must do. The Lord in himself is orchestrating, directing all these things. I love this part right here. This is how you know Peter was really following Jesus. This is how you know. In verse 23, Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. Hold on now. Jews and Gentiles don't mix. Caesarea was more Gentiles. What do you think Peter was around mostly who? Jews. And now he's inviting them in to sleep in his house. This is how you know you've been transformed by the gospel. See, you can't walk around saying you hate certain folks and say you love Jesus. Oh, I just can't stand them certain folks. I can't. Really? There was a prepared servant, prepared heart. There's also a prepared message. I love this. Cornelius was so ready For whatever the Lord was going to do, whatever the Lord was going to say, that he invited all his family and his friends. And at this point, I'm wondering, he's probably wondering, like, what am I going to hear? What is this message that I'm going to hear that this stranger would have for me? And Peter was wondering the same thing. I love that Peter shows up. And Peter, by the time he gets there, he begins to realize what he's there for. Look at verse 34. He says, now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And he sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of some. All. He is Lord of all. Peter is just like Jesus, leaving the the, the, the one, leaving the 99 to go after the one. And I love what Peter says. He says, look, he goes on to say, you know, it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. Peter gets it. Peter got in 30 miles when it's taken the American church almost 60 years to get. Peter got it. Because you don't make it about your preferences and your desires and you make it about Jesus. Then it says, I want my church to be full of those who come from every corner of the earth. But you know what? I want to be honest with you. all Can I be real transparent? This preach is good, but to live this out, it hurts. Because to open up your home and open up your life and open up your checkbook and open up your desires, all these things, to folks that are not like you and that your family talks about is not easy. But Jesus didn't call us to an easy task anyway. Peter comes to understand this reason for him coming is that every nation and every person needs to hear the message of Christ. He breaks down the message of Christ for the entire room, starting with John the Baptist all the way to the resurrection of Christ. And he finishes with the finished work of Christ. Peter didn't come with any other message other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. I love verse 43. It says all the prophets testify about him that through the name, everyone, 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 everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. Every nation, every tongue, every tribe. When they place their faith and trust in Christ and what he's done for them on the cross, they can receive forgiveness of their sins. And he breaks down this message. And I love what happens next. He's still speaking these words. And the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. This is not some short order event. If you know your Bible even a little bit, you can tell me what happened in Acts chapter 2 and who was in the upper room. It was all Jews. And the spirit of the living God fell on them. And so many of us get stuck on tongues. We miss out on what actually happened. The spirit fell on Jewish believers, fulfilling what Joel 2 was talking about. And now they're saying, wow, this is this has never happened before. God is now dwelling in Man. It gave affirmation to the gospel message. Gentiles receive the same thing. And now no Jew could say they didn't belong in the kingdom of God. So there's a prepared kingdom. God is no respecter of persons. God is no respecter of persons. See, nobody could deny the Gentiles had a place in the kingdom. That they had the Savior as well. How do we close this? God desires all men in all places, every tongue to repent and believe in him. This is why we go on missions. This is why we go. This is why we give money to missions. This is why we go. And In fact, here's the thing. In America, the nations are coming to us. So who are we to sit back and say because of what a politician says, we're not going to share the gospel with people who look different than us. Of course they don't want you to tell them about Jesus. No, the Lord is gathering his people, those from every tribe and tongue, and the gospel is for every man. Remember, the gospel is the good news of Christ. It is found in his death, burial, and resurrection that anyone who believes on his name will have their sins forgiven. No, no one should hinder us or try to hinder us, or they may try, but they cannot hinder us from reaching. No media outlet can hinder us. No amount of opposition from the evil one can hinder us because until Jesus comes back, the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. For the believer, are you reaching and praying for those who are like Cornelius, but also those who don't look like you? But maybe you're like Cornelius. Maybe you're close to the kingdom and you've thought that all your good deeds and all these good things would help you enter into the kingdom, but it won't. Here is the thing. The Bible tells you to repent. Turn from your sin. Place your faith and trust in the only sufficient Savior. Believe on him and you will have eternal life. Today, we're responding to this message by coming to the table together. Some of us are from different socioeconomic backgrounds. Some of us are from different ethnic backgrounds, but the Bible says that we are one in Christ. Can I be honest with y'all? Some of us need to repent. First, if you have something against a brother or sister in the Lord, get it right. Ask the Lord to forgive you and find forgiveness with them. Second, some of us need to repent for being racist in our hearts. Having biases. Say, Lord, forgive me. Instead of seeing people as either lost or saved, I'm seeing them in ways that you ain't even say to see them. Some of us need to repent. Because if your view of people is hindering how you're going to reach them with the gospel, you don't have the gospel. You have a self righteousness that is rooted in your own view of a God that you've made up in your own vain imagination. But the gospel calls every man to repent of their sin. Is that the message you believe? Are you hindered by skin color and pigmentation? Are you hung out by ethnicity or maybe language barriers or maybe socioeconomic barriers? Whatever barrier it is, Jesus at the cross has dealt with those. I don't know who's willing to suffer, but if you want to go all in, you're going to suffer to reach even one with the glorious good news of Jesus Christ. But you want to know why it's worth it? On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. But right on that cross, our Savior was humiliated. Beat on and spat on for you, for me. And you telling me we can't step out of our comfort zone and reach one person that's not like us with a message that is eternal and has saved us and has redeemed us. Oh, let me tell you, when we come to this table today. We're coming with the reality that the only way we've able to come is because of what Jesus has done for us. Let it refresh your hearts once again. The goodness of Jesus and the goodness that He wants to share with others. Let's pray. We're going to sing a short chorus, and then God is going to lead us in communion, and then Brother Calvin's going to close us. Come on, this is a time if you're not right with Christ, if you're like Cornelius, look, repent, turn to him. You don't have to run down to the front. You can just say, Jesus, save me. I want to follow you. But if you're a believer, rest in the assurance of what Jesus has done. And maybe you're like Peter. Maybe the Lord has spoken to your heart to get going with it. To reach one with the gospel. Father, with all our heart, we want to worship you. With all our heart, we want to stand before you as people who have holy hands lifted. Hearts ablaze and set on fire by God, the Holy Spirit, willing and ready to go. Knowing, Lord, that in our nation, Lord God, the nation can be divided, but the church you haven't called to be divided at all. You call the church to stand on the truth of the scripture and you've called us to reach every nation, tribe and tongue. Not in our own strength, but in your power. Father, this is our desire to give you worship and praise for your goodness. In Jesus' name.